When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash StarTalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash StarTalk today. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. This is Playing Playing With Science. Science. Yes, you can call it bobsleigh or you can call it bobsled. It's entirely up to you. It's loud, it's cold, it's cold in here as well. And it's a ferocious need for speed and a blind faith in one man or woman to steer you on a course that's ultimately true. Yeah, because if you don't, there's an unforgiving wall of ice with your name on it. So with that in mind, you don't have to be crazy but it may not hurt if you are. And being propelled at 90 miles an hour and experiencing up to 5G is not for everyone, but one man who knows what it's like to be shaken and not stirred. I is the you tw- did you like that? Uh-huh. Good. Right. That man will be 2010 Olympic champion Kurt Tomasevich. And because one is never enough, we'll have Kurt's world champion teammate Steve Mesler on the show as well. Not one, but two, but two for the price. Two Olympic gold medal winners. Yeah. And as we have learned, nothing gets done without science. And so here via Skype to bring it all to life is our good buddy, astrophysicist, Charles Liu. Yes. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Gary. Good to see you. What's Likewise, up? are you a big bobsled fan, Charles? I love it. If wow. you asked me which Olympic sport I would have wanted to do when I was a child, the answer would have been bobsled. Yeah, you know, I don't think you'd be alone in that. I kind of feel that way, too. Well, winter sport. I would like to do bobsled, you know, because it's fast and you're like driving and it's like it's everything a kid loves. You know what I mean? And it's sledding. Who doesn't yeah. love sledding? That's exactly right. That's nice when it's snow and, you know, some, you know, but not on the ice at 90 miles an hour with well, 5G. It might be a little different. might be a little different be a to little. be on the ice at 90 miles an hour yeah. and doing 5Gs. You know, that Remember might be. 5Gs, little. right. You yeah. know, the Gs makes your typical adult head feel like it's 120 pounds. Wait, say that again. 
five G's makes your head feel like it's 120 pounds? That's right. So if you're caught in a 5G turn, mm-hmm. and you try to move your head, it's unlikely that your neck muscles will be able to do that. So you're pinned. You have to really rely on the whole rest of your body in order to be where you want to go because you can't lift your head to see where you're going. Uh, bobsled wow. has just become a spectator sport for me. Yeah, man. <laughs> not- yeah, forget oh. that. That's crazy. Wow. So that means when those guys are going into those turns, like whatever position they go into the turn, they need to know that because they're going to be like, Pinned down in that position oh, yeah. the whole way through the turn? That is absolutely correct. That's right. And the whole motion of it is amazing. I, I know that not all of us have gone 90 miles an hour down a highway before, but when you're at 90 miles an hour and you're inside a little thing just a few feet long and a few feet across, and you've got ice all around you left and right, you better know that you're traveling in the path you want to be. Otherwise, your force, your momentum, your kinetic energy is going to go flying somewhere you don't want it to go. That is blind faith in your pilot. Yeah, man. Absolutely. So, so Charles, okay, so from the gate and the push and, you know, if we've got on a four-man bob, they all sort of feather in behind each other. What forces, what is going on? What are they actually scientifically experiencing on this run? The key to winning a bobsled race is obviously your velocity, right? How fast right. you're going and which direction you're going all the way down the track. The one constant in the whole process is the gravitational acceleration of the Earth. No matter how much you weigh, no matter where you are, you're going to feel a downward acceleration of 9.8 meters per second squared. That's fixed. You can't change that. That's That's fixed. fixed. That's right. Right. So and, okay, and that's that's basically like falling, right? Isn't that that's the rate at which anything falls, no matter where, right? That's right. Okay. And so you have your track which moderates that acceleration. You have the friction on the blades of the bobsled, which moderates your uh, acceleration. And you have whatever momentum you had, the mass times the velocity of the sled and its occupants to start with when they get in and then they go, right? You have the viscous drag of the air that prevents you from Uh, that will actually cause you to decelerate, like to lose acceleration, uh, to lose momentum, depending on what direction you're going, whether the wind is blowing in your way, or whether you have one big uh, driver or brakeman in the background standing a little bit too long before tucking in and going into that aerodynamic bullet shape that you want as you're heading down the slope. See, Chuck, you had this theory, I remember when we did NASCAR, that we got into sledding for some reason, and you just went, you always got to have, this is me impersonating you, buddy. You always got to have a fat kid on the sled That's team. That's right. <laughs> me too. You need a fat kid on the sled team or you're going to lose. That's all there is to it. You need, you need some weight on that sucker. So is it basically the heavier this sled can be, the better? Because now they've got weight limitations on individuals and team weight. So how do we sort of factor in the power to weight ratio for this thing to be so, so rapid? That's a great question. It's basically a balance, right, between the friction that will increase if your sled and its occupants weigh more than somebody else's, balanced with whether or not you can get more momentum, which is mass times velocity, on the push, Right. So if you've got four people pushing, you have the brakeman, the driver, uh-huh. and the two pushers, right? I think that's that's what they're called, right? Yes. Uh, 
and you have these four people going, if they can generate more force uh, in that short period of time that they're pushing, uh, then they will start off on the free slide part, the driven part of the bobsled run with a greater velocity. Hmm. So that's where you get the advantage of the mass. But since you are massive, you press down on the track more. And so if you press down on the track more, then the friction that you have with the track will increase because that's the normal force multiplied by the coefficient of friction of the track. Okay, so Charles, very- because we love to reinvent things, NASCAR <laughs> and football and everything else, how about we don't increase the weight, but we increase the mass by getting so aerodynamic shape of the sled and create a downforce like they do with the with mo- motorsport oh, yeah. over the wheel arches. I mean, not that there's wheel arches on. Or even sled. Formula One could, where they actually yeah. create the, like, get this a reverse downforce. plane. Can we do that? Can we create a downforce on the sled and, and create something like that without create, uh, increasing the weight? Wow, that's an interesting question. <clears throat> uh, if you try to make it so that as the air moves around and above and below mm-hmm. the bobsled, that you're actually creating a downward, an upward draft. Is that yeah. what you're saying? So yeah. So as we can, so you're, into the track, so you're so pressing, pressing it down, like like a Formula One race car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the Formula One race car has a slightly different uh, desire. I think you'd want to reduce, uh, you want to increase the amount of friction uh, because your your tires are spinning, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. A bobsled is a little bit different, at least from my physics perspective, because you're you're not spinning wheels underneath it. Uh-huh. You're uh, tracks. Uh, you're you're on the, the on the runners, yeah, on the runners, runners. the blades. Right. And right. so those blades and those runners are sliding friction as opposed to some sort of rolling friction. Okay, uh, and you have a different kind of dynamic. You may want to do it differently. No, I just uh, wondered probably, would it would it be yeah. a benefit to to have that sort of downforce? But because you've explained it, it's runners, it's really not, not wheels. It's not really the way forward. So with that in mind, if you had a track that was infinite and always going downhill, would the sled continue to accelerate all the way through? All the way down to the bottom. That's right. Oh my uh, God. Yes. Now this is this is getting into whether or not there's air. Okay. Ah. You have friction, and if you have air resistance, what we call viscous drag, you reach eventually something called terminal velocity. Okay. Right? This happens when parachuters, for example, fall. Right. right. They from a high altitude and they fall for a long period of time, and if they spread themselves out, as opposed to make themselves real small, they eventually the the drag of the atmosphere into their face will cause them to max out at some certain velocity. Okay, so the, the correct answer for what you just asked, Chuck, is that if there is no other sources of, say, friction or viscosity that would otherwise slow you down, yes, you would accelerate indefinitely. So that you can reach a terminal velocity, which will be your top speed, but because of the atmospheric conditions or the, the viscosity that you're talking about or even the, the ice itself, you're, that's it. You're not going to go any faster. With that in mind, when you go into a curve or, you know, one of these banked turns, does that slow you down or do you remain the same or, or mm. can you speed up? Great question. If you are going into a banked turn, you almost always slow down. Mm. Okay. Now, that's in part because your friction 
necessarily increases when you slide upward. In other words, you have yet additional contact with the surface, right? But also because it's banked, what happens is that the amount of force aimed down the track uh, is reduced. Your vectors are sort of split ever so slightly. So you can move faster uh, if you had no friction because you can still feel some portion of that gravitational acceleration, but that gravitational acceleration vector is reduced. Does that make sense? So you can still speed up, but you might speed up at a slightly slower rate. So if, I'm, if we slow down going into a curve, but if I take the higher route, am I, if I'm slowing down, but I'm gaining extra potential energy on the way out, is that correct? Would that be correct? Yes, you gain extra energy on the way up, uh, but then you, you, that becomes potential energy. But when you gain that potential energy, you lose a corresponding amount of kinetic energy. So when you come back down, you're basically the same as when you started. You yeah. don't mean anything. Swings and roundabouts. Yes, pretty um, much. With the skiers, altitude and, and wind resistance come into factor. Would it be the same for a bobsled at, if it was a high enough altitude? in terms of the wind resistance that they experience because the banking is kind of enclosed or does that become negligible? That's actually one of the questions that I hope we get a chance to ask our gold medalists because I've always wondered myself, uh, because bobsleds are small uh, in their profile compared yeah. to skiers, right? And because, as you said, most bobsled venues are mostly uh, enclosed, right? Not quite as outdoors exposed to the elements as a downhill skier, for example. Yeah. I would love to know if a crosswind or some snow or being at 12,000 feet instead of 5,000 feet makes a difference in bobsled run times. My guess is it does, but not nearly as much as you would see from a skier. Right. But then again, remember that if you're going at 90 miles an hour, one one hundredth of a second is more than a foot and a half. So that's more than enough time for you to uh, more. That's, than I mean, that's that's as good as a mile for in yeah. a bobsleigh event, you know, in terms of well, that could be first to fifth. Yeah, that could be the difference. And it's that yeah. I mean, you talked about it before, about how upsetting it can be to lose by such a fraction of a second. Yeah. But this is what these guys are dealing with. Yeah, that's right. it's got to be frustrating. You know, quite frankly, uh, I'd, have, I'd have said something else, but I'll go with frustrating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I lose by any one hundredth of anything. I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. For us, I mean, our regular lives, one one hundredth is a kind. What does it matter, right? right? But in this case, it's like you know, eighteen inches. That's plenty to cause you uh, uh, the difference between a gold medal and missing out completely on the podium. So cool. So listen, do do, do can we can we keep Chuck? Let's uh. Chuck, can you stick around? Let's let's take a quick yeah. break. Yeah, let's we'll come do that. Back. Speaking of gold medalists, let's uh, let's take a quick break, right? And we're going to oh, yeah. bring on a gold medalist. I mean, if, if we can means we keep Charles Liu, then I am all <laughs> for it. Um, right, let's take this commercial break. Uh, the good Charles Liu will be with us when we get back. But in case you wondered, could that question be answered? It's quite simple. We're going to have an Olympic gold medalist, a former gold medalist, on the show. Kurt Tomasevich, if I've mispronounced his name, my apologies. He part of Team USA's gold-winning Olympic four-man bobsleigh. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. PXG.com slash StarTalk, code StarTalk. Welcome back. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. Yes, he is. And this is Playing With Science. And we are still looking at the wonderful winter sport of bobsled. bobsled. We have decided it's bobsled. We're dispensing with sleigh. It's a sled. No, we got to ask our next guest. We got to ask Curtis weighing on this. We got to ask everybody because, uh, you What, know? you mean the gold medal? What's that? Winner. Yeah, Vancouver. You no, know, I'm talking about gold medalist. The guy who's got a bronze medal as well. The guy yeah. who's not won two, but three, three world, world championships. championships. Yeah. That guy? He's that with guy. us. That's what he's coming. Yeah. Right. As a matter of fact, he's here right now. Is he? That's right. Curtis Tomasevich is with us. Curtis, what's happening? Hi. I'm doing good, guys. How are you guys? Isn't that great? Yeah. So now love let, this. let us ask you this Bob Sled, Bob Slay. What is it? In typical American fashion, I think it's, uh, it's Bob Sled in the U.S. and everywhere else. 
they make it a little bit different and call it Bob Slay. So okay, cool. No, having Slay. Yeah, there you go. No, I want yeah. Sled. You want? Yeah, gotta go with Sled. He's from England and he says Sled, so sled. I think we've settled this. Right. You know, right. like, uh, like we'd know anything about Bob Sledding, yeah. but there you go. I'm just, <laughs> I like the idea of Sled. Always oh, sounds if it's going somewhere. Yeah, that's yeah, very cool. All right, so um, you're an athlete that came out of college football and straight into bobsledding. Ow, difficult, easy transition to make from a team sport into another team sport, or did you find it very, very strange? Bobsled is a unique sport where you don't really have to train your entire life to become a bobsledder. Um, you know, most Olympic sports, you have to grow up and have decades of experience in order to get to that point. Uh, but I think all the football training and other sports that I played growing up, that all led to uh, to bobsled training. Um, powerful athletes, squats, cleans, sprints, those those are the kind of the, the catalyst of what we have to do. And so without knowing it, I was training for bobsled my entire career. Nice. Interesting. Now, since your career as a bobsledder, you are now on the U.S. Olympic Selection Committee? Correct. Yeah. Um, what, what does that, what's that mean? He gets um, to choose who goes. <laughs> I have a, a say, I guess. Um, it's a, it's up to a committee to select the bobsled team. You know, unfortunately it's not a, a sport where, you know, we have a one day trial. Uh, we have to qualify over a series of competitions and our team isn't necessarily just your individual fastest, best pushers. We have to have a good combination of guys and girls to be on our teams. What's the perfect and, bobsledder then? Uh, it depends on the team. So sometimes, you know, we want to be close to a weight maximum. So we need heavy athletes. Sometimes ah. we want athletes to fit together. Sometimes they need to just plain work well together. Um, a lot of, uh, some other subjective factors get played into, um, you know, strength and speed and, uh, power as well. Okay. So with us, we have Dr. Charles Liu still. Astrophysicist extraordinaire. And Charles, you had a question and I yes, don't believe I there's anyone more qualified to answer that question. So please. <laughs> sure. And Curtis, let me say again, uh, congratulations on this wonderful career that you've had. And thank you for representing and being so successful. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. So here's my question. Uh, how much does the weather actually affect a bobsled competition? We know that, for example, downhill skiers, they're very strongly affected by things like crosswinds, by snow, or by temperatures that can change the coefficient of friction of the slopes. But what about bobsled, which is somewhat enclosed and you have such a small profile against the atmosphere and the wind compared to a skier, say? Uh, how much does weather affect your runs? Um, I would say weather in general, just as big of an effect. Um, wind, maybe not as much because as you did say, we are in a somewhat enclosed area sometimes, um, but the temperature and humidity and things like that play a huge effect on the ice. Um, it's not just ice is ice. It's not just cold water, uh, you know, is all the same, right? Um, so, you know, the different uh, minerals within the water react differently to different temperatures. So we can have really cold, hard ice, or we can have soft, warm ice. Ah. All of that plays a factor. Um, snowing, of course, um, you know, the order that we go down in a competition is really important. You know, sometimes you want to be first because you get the fresh ice. Uh, sometimes you don't want to be first because then you're the snowplow kind of clearing out the path for everybody. So there's a, it's a game that you have to play within the game. Hey, let me ask you this. Uh, since you just said the uh, different types of ice and the minerals, right? Um, 
who constructs the track and how do they determine what the track is going to be, the number of turns? And uh, are there any um, are there any restrictions that they'll place on that? Or can you can they just go like this year? We're going crazy. Loop de loop. Like, what do they do? Uh, yeah, that's a, a loaded question, I guess. But it's one of my favorite areas of the sport is talking about the physics and the engineering um, with my background in education. Yeah. Uh, along those things. And, uh, you know, when they build the bobsled track. Uh, well, first of all, there's not a whole, a big market for, for building bobsled tracks. <laughs> um, but when they build the track, you know, they're kind of estimating how fast we can go and the G forces and all the pressures. And it's difficult because once you build the track, it's very difficult to change it. And, uh, you really don't know how fast you're going to go for sure until you build it. And uh-huh. so, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a tough thing to predict. Um, there's a, I want to say uh, just a couple of groups of people or engineering programs, I guess, that have actually uh, built the tracks in the recent Olympics, I guess. And so, um, you know, they're kind of consistent with the number of turns that they have, the length of the course. But all of that is also kind of given to them by the terrain that they have to follow as well. Gotcha. That's pretty uh, just, wild. Just following on from Charles' question. Does altitude have any effect in terms of the sin of the air is and then the air resistance because you're enclosed? Does that, is it, is it negligible? Is it not really something you're concerned about? Um, I would say as far as the altitude with air resistance and uh, for aerodynamics, probably pretty tiny bit. I don't think that's something we're really concerned about. Um, and especially because everybody's competing on the same track at the same time. So that part, maybe not so much, but it probably does play a factor in the ice conditions um, a little bit. And that, ah. and uh, for that reason, you know, we have to determine which runners that we put on the sled work best on different ice conditions. And so, you know, usually temperature and hardness of the ice is the number one thing that we think about. Um, but again, those other factors, um, like I said, snow in the track, if there's a chance of rain, all of that, uh, you know, determines whether we want to use a fat runner or a skinny runner. Um, one that's flat, you know, with less control, but might go faster on the surface. So in a sense, the air pressure, air, um, temperature as well might play a role there. So when do you get to know these sort of parameters on the track? Is it the day before an hour? I mean, cause you've got to rig this, <laughs> this sled to do exactly what you've just described. So how long do you get to know in terms of course design and all the other, for instance, the composition of the ice, the minerals therein, do you get to have this information? Um, a lot of times we get a one week preparation before our races on the weekend. And that's throughout the world cup season. Um, at the Olympics, we usually get, um, I think up to about 40 practice runs on the track and that's spread out over about a year and a half too. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's not a lot of practice time in order to get familiar with the track. And most of that time is spent on the driver really nailing down the profiles and finding the fastest line to drive through the track too. So when you're dialing in the specific ice conditions and the physics of the, uh, the course itself, um, you know, there's not a lot of time we can spend on that. You know, when we're watching on television, uh, you know, it just looks like these guys are shooting down this tube at incredible speeds, right? Mm-hmm. But... You see at the bottom of the hill that they're separated by hundredths of a second that can win or lose a race. What are the things that we are not seeing? The little tiny errors, the little tiny um, nuances that we're not seeing that causes the difference between those times? Yeah, um, that's it's a great question, I guess. And I'd, I'd love to you know, be able to really dive into all the details during our races and really explain all the physics behind uh, 
uh, our races. You know, we like to break our sport down into three areas, the push, the driving and the equipment. Mm -hmm. And all of that is, is really important. So of course, when we accelerate the sled at the beginning and, uh, you know, we're going from zero, a velocity of zero to get as fast as we can, but not just a high velocity, but we want to be accelerating the sled, um, as we're getting in as well. So that's the first step into, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to seeing how fast we can get going all the way down the hill. Because if you have high acceleration, when you get in the sled, it's just going to amplify your, the difference between sleds as you go down as well. Uh, but once we're in the sled, the push athletes, 99% of their job is over. The rest is up to the pilot. And when the driver's going down, he's kind of a duck on water where he's doing a lot of driving underneath the cowling that we can't see, you know, when you're watching on television. And uh, the way he's steering the sled are very subtle movements, and he's driving most of the he or she uh, driving mostly by feel, um, because you know in a car you can, as you're going down the road, you know you can turn your wheels and the the car will turn. In a bobsled, you can turn your runners and you may just keep going straight because you're on ice. Oh God! And so <laughs> you have to wait until you feel pressure, and so the sled can kind of dig into the ice. And uh, that will give you a little more traction when you're steering. So those little small steers, when the sled can use those steers, uh, will will you know put the sled on the fastest line going down the hill. So the ice tells you when you can work with it. A little bit, yeah. You can't really wow. do much steering when you're going straight. Right. Um, no. you know, it's not going to have a huge effect. A little bit, but not much. Have you been Shape. able to, with modern technology and, and wind tunnels and, every, and all the computer models, to just find extra percentiles of advantage to your time? Through design. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, in the summertime, we've used uh, wind tunnels where we sit down and we use some NASCAR technology to help us in that way. Um, again, with so technology, you only turn left. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, um, couldn't resist that. <laughs> um, you know, we've also now been able to simulate, you know, computer models of a sled with athletes in there. So we don't have to sit in the sled anymore. Again, software can um, you know, kind of simulate that same type of shape and that sort of thing, too. But, you know, you can never completely rule out human variability. So, you know, an athlete has to be comfortable in the sled so that they can push the next day and they're not sore and beat up, you know. How about the height of an athlete? Because even though you're once you go in, you're in this crouched position, but mm-hmm. if you've got a really tall pusher, it's going to stick out rather badly and ruin your aerodynamics. So yeah, absolutely. We want to be heavy but small. So call us dense, I guess. Ah, but yeah, you need a bunch, uh, of, you need a bunch of short fat dudes. Oh, here we go again. Uh, oh, short, no. heavy dudes. short okay. muscular dudes. Chuck. Short yes. muscular. Yeah, that's yeah. right. If we sort of for temporarily skip past the upcoming Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang. Where is bobsledding in 10, maybe 20 years' time? Where do you see this sport going? Because it's absolute, it is a minute-long thrill. And you know that better than I do, for sure. Yeah, honestly, I think, uh, you know, we talk about the NFL possibly, you know, having to go through some changes with uh, safety of athletes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. A bobsled ride is a very violent ride. And yes. uh, I think... You know, looking forward, um, we may be next in having to take precautions and having to protect athletes, um, you know, because when we crash, which happens, you know, relatively common, uh, there's a hard hit as well. So everybody wants a more fast, you know, exciting sport, you know, where crashes do happen and that sort of thing. But, you know, if we're really looking out for athlete safety, you know, sometimes it's going to be tough to, uh, you know, to really think of that as the best 
avenue for the sport. If we're talking about safety, I think we may have to take some strides in protecting athletes that way. So, Chuck Liu, is there an engineering um, method to make what we're looking at now as the sled and the drive, uh, the, the riders? Is there is there anything that can be done to make it safer? Like they have skiers who actually have airbags, like yeah. their body becomes an airbag. Are there, are there methods that can that can be integrated? You can make anything safer, but there's always a cost somewhere, right, in uh, weights or in aerodynamics or something like that that will make the ride slower. I mean, I'm sure Curtis has ex uh, excellent examples of that sort of thing. Uh, but, for example, a crumple zone in a car, right, is mm -hmm. something that it can cushion a blow. Or you can imagine a helmet uh, that has a little bit more uh, uh, shock-absorbing capabilities so that uh, when a person hits the wall – with it, with your head, it's not quite as violent uh, in the reaction that gets hit in the skull. Uh, but um, in the end, it's got to be trade-offs. And so there are many, many things that can be done. But what's the best thing that can, should be done for a, a driver or, uh, for that matter, anybody in the back as well? And we've, uh, Curtis, you know, we see horrific crashes sometimes. And, and they're, they're sadly often played on highlight reels, right, in between Olympic segments and so forth. Uh, do you... Can you recall like a particularly scary crash for you that where you thought, gee, if I had this particular safety technology, I would have felt much better going into that crash or having experienced that particular crash? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, possibly, I guess I could say that uh, one of the worst crashes I was in was on a track that was in that was built in Germany. And uh, the track is kind of old when sleds were going much slower speeds. Mm. And now that we're going faster, I think the track itself um, is a little bit dangerous. And so, you know, I think, you know, if you talk about the engineering from a track standpoint, maybe we can, you know, it's not exciting, but maybe we keep sleds a little bit slower and uh, make, you know, the, the sport, again, safer in that way, um, if you're talking about yeah. equipment or technology. Um, right. You know, that I think helmets as well. Yep. I think that's a, an area where, you know, you can definitely talk about, we want as light a helmet as possible because we're sprinting with it on. So we, we don't want to be uncomfortable that way. But, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, making a small light helmet isn't always the safest helmet. So as, mm -hmm. you know, materials develop and, you know, we talk about, um, you know, carbon fiber and, you know, really strong but light material. Um, I think that'll help quite a bit, too. Yeah. So I remember, for example, the Lake Placid track uh, has a turn called Shady, which yeah. is extremely sharp. And I imagine that if you're going nowadays 90 miles an hour instead of the past when you're going 50 or 60 and you take the wrong line, you could go flying in a very, very dangerous way just on that one curve. It, it, and I don't want to single out that just one curve, but I'm sure there are many others around the world with that same sort of problem. Yeah, I think yeah, every track probably has a, an infamous curve where most crashes happen. And, you know, it is pretty scary. Um, honestly, we always talk about the moment of silence. Uh, right before we crash, we are airborne just a little bit, you know, and so that uh, um, is a pretty eerie, uncomfortable feeling where you know it's coming, but it's so fast you don't have time to react. It's just a kind of a, a thing you think about in hindsight. But, um, yeah, each track, you know, does have those certain areas that, uh, again, it's it's for excitement. It's You don't want an easy sport either. So right. You know what will happen? You'll get the safety aspect of it covered, and then they'll go, right. Let's make the course that much more difficult. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's, that's, the way, that's the way you'd yeah. go for yeah. it. And listen, I'm, you know, because uh, all I could say is, you know, spending my whole life as a um, 
as an elite athlete, uh, yes. I like being challenged by uh, dangerous situations, <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm sure you'll agree, Kurt. You know anyway, uh, <laughs> we are time poor. Kurt, thank you. We wish you and your team for the upcoming Olympics in Pyeongchang, South Korea. The very best of luck. Yeah, man. Thanks for taking the time and joining us. Yeah, may yeah, they I strike gold. It. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, may man. they strike gold. And of course, too, Dr. Charles Liu, once again. Thank you, sir. Been a pleasure. Right, pleasure. we are going to take a break. Um, when we return. From one gold medalist to another. Hey, that's right. Hey, Kurt, we got uh, we got your buddy coming on right yeah. now. Yeah, shame Mr. we couldn't Messler, get the band huh? back that's together. That's right. We uh, got Steve Messler coming on. Oh, yeah. Stick around. There's going to be plenty of fun. More gold-winning bobsledders coming up. We'll be with you shortly. Do you want to set up your child for success? Of course you do. Maybe you want to save money on private tutoring, or maybe it's just out of your budget altogether. Is this a big school year for your child? Like maybe they're starting kindergarten, middle school, or high school, or some other milestone. Maybe your family moved and they're starting at a new school. Is your child ahead? Not getting challenged enough in class? Well, we love that little smarty, but we want them to be engaged. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Star Talk. Visit IXL.com slash Star Talk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support anytime you don't have to hide how you feel welcome back i'm gary o'reilly and i'm chuck nice and this is playing and with science dance. and today yes you know because you've been tuned in for the whole of the show it's bobsled yes yep and bobsled or bobsled or bobsled it's an either-or situation. You don't win, you don't lose. 
Um, I bet you we have somebody who knows the definitive answer with us. I know what I know, which is he's a former Olympic champion. Yes. That means all gold, baby. All Steve baby. Messler, welcome to Playing With Science, sir. How are you? I'm great, guys. How are you guys doing today? We're uh, good. So the, the big question, the burning question, obviously, that we've just come up with, bobsled or bobsled? It depends on where you are. If you're in the U.S., it's bobsled. If you're in basically anywhere else that speaks English, it's going to be bobsled. Oh, my God. It's soccer and football. So exactly. <laughs> we go, except for we try to keep it sneakier and just change a few letters. Right. I there like sled. Sleigh's just kind of reindeer and things like that. So, yeah. nah. Yeah, sled, sled sounds like you are doing something. Yep. Sleigh sounds like a little trip through the snow to grandma's there's, there's, house. There's little exactly. bells. You're getting pulled like my, like my grandpa used to pull me on the sleigh. Right. Yeah. Sled. That's got yeah. speed built on already. That's now, right. you were part of... Olympic winning team, which position on the four man were you? I pushed on the right hand side. I was the third guy into the sled. Right. You were also the pilot on. I was a pilot in and out, but I was the push athlete on the team that won the gold medal. And I was kind of a pilot in and out of my career as well. Yeah. You piloted during a two man, right? Is that, is that, yeah. yeah. What's it? A lot of over the years. Now that we now that we mentioned that, what's the big difference between two man and four man? Uh, you know, because you see, you know, you see them, and yeah. it's very hard from the from the untrained eye to figure out why is there a two man and why is there a four man. You know, I mean, the biggest difference. This is a science show, so I'm going to throw some math at you. Yay! We won't the understand big, it, but by all means, throw away. The <laughs> <laughs> biggest difference is the four-man sled has two more guys in it. Way to go! Oh, hang on a minute. I don't think hang I can handle this. Hang on a minute. Not sure if I'm understanding. Okay, tell it to me again. Like, tell me, tell me again, Steve. Like, I'm a four-year-old. Uh, sometimes I have some problems following things. <laughs> I, the biggest difference is that, I mean, a two-man sled is like a Porsche. Like, you can weave in and out. You can get it into trouble. You can get it out of trouble really quickly. Oh. A four-man sled is like a Greyhound bus. When you're in a four-man sled and you start going, you'll see a lot more crashes happening in four-man bobsled than you will in two-man. Is that because there's all those people arguing at the back? Exactly. Exactly. And there's the bigger – it's like the bumps in the back. Like yeah. That. Um, right. So that's – I mean, four-man is faster. Uh, four-man creates a little more havoc on the track. Uh, it's a lot heavier, which means the G-forces are, are, are cutting up the track a lot more. Yeah. Uh, you're, so you're doing a lot more damage to the ice, which, again, makes it harder to control. Uh, so four-man is a lot more of a circus uh, than, a two, than the two-man races. Um, and yet in two-man, it's kind of more like a track and field where it's kind of like mano a mano. You're one push athlete, one driver, as opposed to a bigger, a bigger team. Of See, as a pilot, you're the only guy that actually gets to do the whole thing with their eyes open. Clear, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And now yeah. you you kind of uh, drive by wire, so you've, you're steering in a, in this sort of handle thing. You don't have a wheel or anything like that. It's you've got you've got these two D ring. They're called D rings. Uh, you've right. got two rings that have ropes that are attached to the front axle. Axle, and when you pull to the right this way, the runners will turn that way. When you pull to the left, the runners will turn that way. And that's how you're adjusting the whole time. And then you've got these bungee cords that are attached from the axle to the main part of the sled. So as you pull this way, you're pulling against the bungee cord. So as you let go, they actually it actually snaps it back to center. So you're not having to drive it back to center each time. So you'll ah. see see the men and women, you know, on the top of the hill in Korea, and the you know the NBC cameras will be will be focusing on them, and you'll see them going through their you know going through their mind and trying to drive the track that way. And, 
they're only having to drive this and then they're just letting, you'll see them let the sled go like that. Because What's the margin of, of error? When you're hitting one of those big curves, what's the margin of error? A foot, a yard, an inch? Every corner is different. Every corner is different. Every mm. corner's different. Um, you'll have... You'll have some corners where literally the margin of error between you crashing and not crashing is going to be six inches. Wow. Uh, you'll, you'll have other corners where you could get in super late, um, you know, really deep into the curve. You can get in, you'll hear getting onto curves early and late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're not going to crash, but you're going to have to drive the sled really hard, which is, which means just like, if you think of somebody, you know, skating on ice, how do you skate on, how do you stop on ice? You, you turn your skates. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, bobsled and you have to turn the sled really hard and you have to turn those front runners really hard you're doing a hockey stop with wow. the sled. so now for for you guys for you guys behind the driver um uh, two things one there's got to be some communication between the driver and the and the other guys in the in in, in the sled and two incorrect uh, incorrect oh wow okay cool uh yeah. what are you guys doing praying. as this is happening praying and and, and can you can you affect the sled negatively while it's going down through the course? We're tweeting. Uh, <laughs> posting on Instagram. <laughs> get, getting some selfies for Instagram. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, you got to check and make sure, see what everybody's saying. Um, you are, when you're in the back of the sled, your job, your, your job is to move, move fluently with the sled. I mean, you can't see anything, so you have to know the timing of every corner and every curve as they come. Gotcha. You have to move with it because if you think about it, if you're sitting in the passenger seat of a car and somebody's driving 100 miles an hour straight and they go and they turn the wheel to the left, you're going to – you get pushed into the door that way. Right. Well, if that happens, if you don't know the turn is coming and you're going 100 miles an hour in a bobsled and the sled turns and you get pushed into the side of the sled, you're going to throw that sled off, and on, off on an angle because it's on ice. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not a case of like, I push it, that's my work done. No. From there on in, the important stuff happens because you've had to visualize the track, the course, the whole way from start to finish and then oh, be able to intuitively feel any change. And move, and move with. I mean, the, the, important, wow. the important part of the, of the push athlete's job is to, draw, is to push and accelerate that sled because that's the only time we as people have a chance to uh, you know, affect the, the acceleration of the sled. Uh, when the driver's in there, the driver's job is to drive as little as possible, so he's he or she is hockey skip, hockey mm-hmm. stopping as yeah. as possible down the track. And the push athlete's role is to yeah, is to move with it, so they're causing as little disturbance in that sled as possible. Right. So when you when you're training, do you employ sort of virtual reality training, or is it a case of the track is what it is when we get there, or do you have an advantage from from a build up point of view? And how much yeah. do you get to how much do you get to practice on the track? Because this sounds this sounds really dangerous. Not much. No, I mean not much. I mean when you see the people competing in the Olympics this month in Korea, uh, you know they'll have had maybe a week or two of training last week on the track, two runs a day. They'll have uh, a week of training on the track this past fall, and then they'll have two or three days of training before the race. Oh my! So God. and no more than two runs a day because the G forces that you go through is just too hard on your body, so you typically don't do much more than two a day. Wow! How do you cope with that? How do you train for the G forces? I mean, what do you do? Go to the local space center and ask them to spin you around this big centrifugal That's thing? And no, I mean, <clears throat> it's you spend a month on ice before the season starts, and you kind of remind your body what's happening and. And you mind your neck and your back because that's really you're you're bent over in that sled and and that's when you've got five G's pushing you down like that your neck and your back gets pretty stiff and sore so you you just work through it um, and go I mean it's not that it's actually it sounds a little scarier than it is to go through those kinds of G forces 
Um, it's more of the body just gets used to it. So, I mean, there's got to be a lot of trust between you guys. So, in other words, I you, mean, get, you get off the you get off the sled and you say, "My back hurts," and you, all you hear is a chorus of "Deal with it." Yeah. yeah. But, I but, mean, that's basically what that's basically what you're getting. I mean, it's yeah. yeah. Everyone else would just say, "Yeah, me too." So. But but what I was saying was, there's got to be a lot of trust between you guys on the team as a unit because. Yeah. It kind of looks like there's a guy driving and there's three guys riding. But now that you've really explained this, everybody is playing an active role the entire way down the yeah. course. And if one of you messes up, you could really screw up everybody and everything. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, that's, I mean it's, it's a team sport through and through, whether it's two-man or four-man or two-woman bobsled. Uh, it is a or bobsled, depends upon, uh, you know. Right. Time, We're going with you know, sled. You stand, where you happen to be standing. And, um, <laughs> and and that's you know that's a that's a wonderful thing about the sport is everybody has roles everybody's roles kind of ebb and flow of the importance of what they're doing when they're doing it over the forty or 50, 60 seconds of the run depending upon which track you're on uh, and you have to, you have to have absolute confidence in your driver and the driver has absolute has to have absolute confidence that you know, the, the the team is going to do their job on the low they're going to do do their job on the push and give them the proper acceleration and the driver is part of that just like. The, the push athletes are part of, you know, making sure the sled is fast down the hill um, along with the driver. So we've got the push. So okay. we've got the muscle. We've got the momentum going. You all jump in in sequence and someone sticks a spike where you don't need one. And you're kind of like in an awkward position. You kind Has that happened? Where someone's, you, you, you've all got to fit in nicely as a little component pieces, but all of a sudden you're human, it goes wrong. What happens then? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's hundreds of tiny little pin spikes on the bottom of those on the bottom yeah. of our spikes or our bobsled spikes. Yeah, it's not like a track and field shoe where there's like seven. There's like hundreds of these little ones, and they're like a brush uh, on the bottom of the shoe, and so your your feet kind of stick like Velcro, like the little hooks in Velcro. All right, uh, nice and it's and straight when you're on there. But yeah, to your point, you get in. Um, you can ask my teammate Kurt Tomasevich uh, what happens. Um, I got in. I, we got back from the track day one after our first uh, the first race in Vancouver. So there's two days of racing, two heats per day, mm -hmm. cumulative four heats. And we get back to the track, get back to the, the Olympic Village after day one. And we had a great day. We were up by, I think, 43 hundredths of a second, which is a lot of time in bobsled. It's it's a whole lot of time in bobsled. Wow. And, um, and you know, the adrenaline of the day was starting to wear off. I hopped in the shower and all of a sudden, I ah, and I started yelling, and I looked down, and Kurt had, in fact, spiked me in the calf, um, getting in earlier <laughs> in the day. And he hadn't done that in years, actually. And he could hear me yelling at him from the shower. And <laughs> he came back, and he just kind of slumped his head, and was like, "Sorry, sorry man, <laughs> sorry, dude." So when yeah. you guys, when you guys are in. in how do you sync when you're running and pushing off? Is this uh, internal timing? Is there any communication between you while you're uh, pushing off? I mean, how exactly do you time that out so that, uh, you know, everybody's in the sled exactly when they're supposed to be? Yeah, I know. It's a good question. Practice. Uh, just like anything else. I mean, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of thousands of reps uh, in the ice house, which is a, a training facility or on the hill or on dry land or in the garage. Uh, but you'll hear the teams when you're watching bobsled at the Olympics, you'll hear them and they'll, they'll communicate between the push athletes and the driver to make sure that everybody's starting at the same time. Cause there is no red light. It's not like in racing where it's like red, red, yellow, green, and it goes, yeah. everybody goes, you have 60 seconds to go. And there's a clock that's coming down and you're allowed to go at any point in that 60 seconds. So what's so, the code? 
What's so what's the code our, between everybody? Every team is different. Yeah. Um, our code was back set. The brake the brakeman would yell back set, and then the front driver would yell front set, and then the driver would yell ready and, and then we'd hit the sled. So back set, front set, ready and. Wow. Bang. Wow, that's cool, man. All right, your your gold winning team was yeah. called the Night Train. It's called the Night Train. There's a reason, and you're going to please tell us. Well, I you know. And the name actually came up because the sled, when we first got the sled, it was fast. It was fall of 2008, a couple years before the Olympics. And the sled was super fast. We were in training in like in Park City. And when they when the sled engineers send us the, the new sled, they just send it with a primer coat on. Because the hard coats are expensive. And if they have to do any adjustments, you just don't want to bother putting on that nice glossy coat. So they just had this like matte black primer coat on it. All right. And it's like, all right we want this sled. It's going to come to Europe with us next week. And the engineer was like, well, hold on. We need to get it back to Connecticut, which is where all the Bodine sleds were. We need to get the hard coat on it, do some things. And we were like, no, no, we don't need a hard coat. Just set it to Europe. We're going to race in this thing. And he said, okay, but he, you know, he wanted to have something on it because it looked really plain. And Harley Davidson had a, a motorcycle that was matte black uh-huh. back way back in the day. And it was called the night train. And our sled engineer, Bob Cuneo, just thought that was a really cool idea. And the sled showed up a week later in Lake Placid before we were going to ship these out to Europe. And it had this sticker on it. And it had this Night Train logo on it. It said the Night Train. So it was Bob Cuneo gets all the credit. Fair enough. It. Uh, hey, th- be I'm more just... American if you called it the Screaming Eagle Mom Train. So that's <laughs> awesome. It if it, was a fit. Sled, <laughs> if it was a six-man sled, that would have fit. <laughs> how, how, how do you look at it and say, this sled's fast. I mean, apart from the fact it's got an engine on it and wings, but so how, how do you design something that's faster? Because it just, they all look the same. I know I'm being daft with this, but surely there's a reason why it was faster. It's a question. It's a good, I mean, we spent a lot of time in the wind tunnel. We spent a lot of time in digitization. Yeah. Uh, and we, we work on, we work on the math. We work on the, the aerodynamics. Uh, and then, and then, you know, lastly, we get on this, we get on the track with it. And we'll use our old sled and our new sled, and we'll we'll test back and forth, back nice. and forth, back and forth. And you're you're testing against you know on a track like Park City, which Steve Holcomb, uh, our driver who recently passed away this yeah, year, yeah, that's was, very sad. Very sorry. Yeah, thank you. It was he was born and raised in Park City. He knew that track like the back of his hand. He could drive it the same way every single time. So we would use the same set of runners, the blades, the metal blades in the bottom of the sled, and we would just trade the sled back and forth um, and do everything else the same. And and it was the, the sled was amazingly faster than the old one. Wow. So but we, we're running out of time here, but I, uh, we've been remiss to let you go without talking about classroom champions yes, and please. how bobsledding led you to classroom champions and to where you are right now. You know, I, I used to go into schools and give a talk just like any athlete or any other successful business person or anyone else. And I used to go into a school, I'd give a talk, um, and then I'd leave and I'd never see those kids again. And I'd always say, if one or two kids listened, it was worth my time. Yeah. And we just thought, you know, my sister was getting her PhD in education. I was living this life with a 10 year old kid. And that's what I just thought was amazing. And we, we wanted to do something that would make a difference. And class and champions has turned into over a hundred, over a hundred Olympians, Paralympians, uh, college student athletes, NFL players mentoring via technology, via, via Skype, via, uh, Ace and get his video and social media, more than 25,000 kids. Um, and what's really cool for your audience is, we're partnered with NBC, and on February 22nd, every single school in America is going to be able to talk to amazing athletes like Aaron Hamlin, 
and Alana Myers Taylor that you're going to see all over NBC and do a live chat with them. So folks can. Uh, have well done, you sir. Well done, the organization. Thank you. Hey, man, this was really cool talking yeah, to you. Thank Thanks you. so much. I hope um, uh, that we'll get to do it again, uh, uh, whether it's classroom champions or bobsledding or track and field or anything <laughs> else that you have been involved with over your life because it has been a lot. So uh, we certainly look forward to having you back, man. Thank you, guys. I love everything you're doing and uh, keep up the great work. Enjoy the Olympics. You too. Thank you. Steve Messler there. Yeah, man. Former Olympic gold medal winner. Man, it must feel good to have winner, that. by the way. It's gonna feel good, right? You know what I mean? I wish I would, if I had been if I had won a gold medal for anything, like even if it was filled with chocolate, okay? <laughs> It'd be I like, know what you're gonna do. Yeah, it'd be like Chuck Nice gold medal chocolate winner. <laughs> yeah, gold fidget spinner. I don't care what it is you give me. <laughs> give me the gold. Give me the gold. Oh man. Oh wow. Um yeah, well, I hope you've enjoyed our show. Yeah, this was a good one. Yeah, bobsled? Yeah, bobsledding. Bobsled or bobsleigh? It's no, an either-or situation. No, it's we bobsled. Yeah, yeah, that's a done deal. Bobsled. And if there is a bobsled out there, we like you as well, sir. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't just do that. I did. That's awesome. Couldn't resist it. Right. Um, on that wonderful note, uh, that's it from us. Bobsled over and out. Hope you've enjoyed it. I am still Gary O'Reilly. And I'm still Chuck Nice. See you soon. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.